0: Welcome to this episode of Athletic Training Chat. We have repeat guest on, uh, Justin Young, who is at Indiana State University, uh, actually going back for his PhD, so he's working through his coursework there. But in that process, uh, they recently put out, I believe at the time of the recording was a pre-draft, which we'll have linked up, to a paper called uh, Psychological Ownership in Athletic Training, a really interesting concept and what they found was really interesting and just where athletic trainers find themselves with psychological ownership in regards to their profession and their employer and what that means. And so uh, reached out to Justin immediately and wanted to get this recorded just because it is such a unique Um, area and something I think in terms of the profession kind of going into the psychological aspect is going to be really interesting in the years to come so please enjoy that Um, as always we are powered by Mueller Sports Medicine please check them out for any of your athletic training needs we thank them again for teaming up with us on the throw a lifeline program we are still working on uh, getting number two fulfilled Uh, we got our first one out that is being put to you so if that is something you'd be interested in helping us out with check out athletic training chat.com backslash throw a lifeline uh, for more information and a place to donate but without further ado please enjoy this episode chat we are on with repeat guests justin young uh he was a previous guest on episode 82 on tactical athlete care which i also picked his brain a lot about there and now um just picking his brain again as he uh, has a paper that is in pre-publication as of this recording i believe but coming out in the journal of athletic training um Justin finished his DAT at Indiana State and now has decided to go back for his PhD. So we'll let him fill in on that decision. Um, I'd be very curious how you write all that on the back your know, Dr. Dr. Young. Um, but with that, we're just going to talk about this paper, this psychological ownership and athletic training. Um, I read it. It was really interesting in terms of job versus profession, I thought that was had some really unique insight uh, based on the people that responded. So we're going to have Justin elaborate on that. But before I keep rambling, going for a PhD now.
1: Yeah,
2: um, that is the case. Um, So that decision came from this kind of need I felt after finishing the DAT. and I took a long look at some of my long-term aspirations um, and really what I what I like the most about being a math trainer. Um, and what what I came up with was this idea of, I like sharing with other people, and I like sharing information. Um, so I was presented with this opportunity to pursue a PhD here at Indiana State in curriculum and instruction. Um, and I think as of this recording, um, The way I'd like to combine those two degrees is to really encourage and um, promote professional development in athletic trainers um, outside of the traditional education setting. Um, So I think we do a really good job um, educating ATs um, through that kind of post professional degree programming um, or residency programming or things of that nature, Um, but I'd like to really take some of the fundamentals that um, I've learned throughout my DAT education related to practice advancement and structure that with some, um, some strong curricular, curricular design and instructional design um, kind of partner with organizations to promote um, kind of that professional development in a very clinical um, manner. So that's where that idea came from and that's kind of what I'm hoping to work towards in the long-term.
0: That sounds awesome. Uh, so just in this PhD role, are you teaching slash doing some stuff at Indiana State while pursuing?
2: Yeah, so I work within the uh, doctorate and athletic training here at Indiana State, so okay. just couldn't get enough of it. had to come back. Um, but yeah, so in my in my current role, um, I do some administrative work for, for the DAT itself. Um, I mentor in some of the research projects. I do some of my own research projects. Um, and then I also do a little bit of teaching. Um, within the DAT itself and then within our Applied Medicine Rehabilitation Department as a whole, uh, kind of assisting with some undergraduate classes there as well.
0: Awesome. Sounds like you're staying plenty busy, not that I would have assumed otherwise. Um, So this paper um, and just really even the concept of psychological ownership, maybe let's start there. If you could define what that is, and then we'll talk about how it specifically applies to the profession.
2: Sure. Um, so I'm going to start with where I, I kind of, where this idea generated. Um, so before we got on, we were talking about some books that we had read um, and where this idea came from was actually a book by Jocko Willen, um Extreme Ownership, which has made the rounds of late. Um, it's a pretty popular book. Um, so I had this, this idea of ownership and what that meant um, kind of ingrained and really wanted to look at what that meant in athletic training. Now, if you've read the book, um, the way the ownership's described in that book is more about um, action, how to be actionable in, in owning things, um, as opposed to what we're going to talk about today, which is more um, feelings. Um, so psychological ownership, or, or the idea um, that we researched in this paper, um, is, is a feeling that an individual gets over a target. Um, And the word target is really loosely defined. It can essentially be anything. Um, So anything can be a target. It can be physical or immaterial, Um, but the idea is that you feel um, control or responsibility over
1: that thing. Um, So, that being said, um, there's been a couple different groups
2: of people that have looked over, looked at it over time. Most people have looked at it in relation to um, organizations or jobs and how people feel ownership over those things. Um, but one group a few years ago, I think it was like 2009 to 12-ish, somewhere in there, um, led by James Avey, um, broke down psychological ownership into some more um, defined dimensions. Um, So they looked at self-efficacy, self-identity, belongingness, accountability, and territoriality. Um, And they they determined that those five things together kind of composed what psychological ownership is um, and how people develop that control or that feeling of control over something else. Um, So that's kind of an overview of what the concept is. Okay. Um, is there anything that you feel like you still need some clarity on related to that
0: idea? No, I think that did a good job of summarizing it. And then I think kind of getting into your paper, you know, I, that's kind of the unique angle. A, it's never been done in athletic trainers, at least as far as you had referenced. But then you seemingly took it a step further and I think you use kind of organization versus slash, I guess not verse necessarily, profession, um, and made a couple interesting connections, um, uh, as well. If you would. Yeah.
2: Um, so we did, we looked at the difference between organization and profession. Um, and like I just mentioned, organization is something that had been measured quite a bit, yep. um, in relation to the construct, um, and what was consistently found was that people with higher higher psychological ownership um, demonstrate higher levels of certain work behaviors that are positive. Um, So they have higher job satisfaction. They have higher organizational commitment. They have better or improved knowledge sharing. Um, They've also demonstrated things like perseverance. Um, So we had this idea that higher organizational, Psychological ownership um, leads to these positive work-related behaviors, um, but through some discussions with some peers um, and some some mentors and some colleagues, we decided to also add the aspect of profession, in. Um, and the reason for that is um, anecdotally, whenever uh, whenever somebody who is an athletic trainer introduces themselves, they usually say, "Hi, my name is blank. I'm an athletic trainer for blank,"
1: mm-hmm. and so
2: the profession is always the first thing they identify with as opposed to where they work or who they work for. Okay. So to us, this idea of, hey, people are verbally identifying with the profession um, before they verbally identify with their employee and organization might be true. So that's kind of where that came from, from an anecdotal standpoint. And we really just wanted to see
0: what that looked like in comparison to the construct. I like it. I I don't obviously we want people to go read your paper, but also give them the click notes of it. Um so when we talk about the organization. And we were kind of again kind of talking about this a little bit off air and some other things that could potentially look at down the line, you know, they show more positive work-related traits when they feel like they have control did you get a sense at all and i don't remember specifically like did that vary from setting to setting at all is that something that you're going to look at in the future we again talking off air you know and this is a big thing and i'm sorry that this is for everybody listening that this has come up on a bunch of the relative podcasts The though you work with verse four concept especially in the traditional Mm -hmm. setting with coaches and some of those other things and where that kind of falls in your level of having this ownership or control?
2: Yeah, so I think that's a really uh, good question. And that also kind of gets to the root of where our, our intentions were behind this study. Um, other conversations we had in the development process were the idea of kind of serving two masters. Um, so you've used the word for traditional, um, I'll, I'll say secondary school. Um, in the secondary school setting, a lot of times, athletic trainers are contracted by a healthcare institution or organization to work for a secondary school. Sure. So in that in that standpoint, they now have two different entities that they answer to um, and part of our intention was looking at you know how does that affect what they own, so to speak um, So we actually didn't find any differences between organizational settings um, or job settings. Um, Really the the major demographics we found differences between were years of experience and then supervisor status. Um, So people who were um, in a supervisory role at the time of this study um, demonstrated higher levels of psychological ownership than those who weren't. Um, And then people I guess the age grouping that demonstrated the highest level of psychological ownership was athletic trainers who have been practicing for um, 21 plus years. Okay. So not age grouping, sorry, years of experience grouping. Sure. Um, And then another interesting finding related to the demographics was that athletic trainers with six to 10 years of experience actually demonstrated the lowest. Um, And I think there is some really interesting implications there. Um, We didn't necessarily, dive into them in the actual um, data collection process, but we did make some inferences in the discussion about um, previous literature that's shown that athletic trainers around the the age of 30 um, tend to start leaving the profession. Um, It's a pretty common trend. And and that would potentially correlate with that six to 10 years of experience range um, for, for some athletic trainers. So there is, um, potential for future research or, or even some conjecture that could be had about um, athletic trainers in that um, years of experience grouping, maybe experiencing um, less psychological ownership, and that being the reason they're deciding to leave either the profession
0: or the organization. Hearing that, and just kind of the data you said, and this is obviously asking your opinion because so you did the research, like for people that are in supervisory roles, having more psychological ownership potentially then having a bunch of these six to 10 year out, you know, 26 to 30 year old or, you know, or so people that are maybe leaving, it seems like a relatively easy connection of the dots, not that the process would be easy, but that that's something maybe those people in those supervisory roles really need to pay attention to is what can you do to help facilitate that ownership with that group, in hopes that obviously that keeps them in the profession.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and if, you, if whoever's listening gets a chance to read the paper, um, that's what the majority of the recommendation section um, within the discussion is based on. Is kind of how to facilitate and develop ownership uh, within all of your staff, really. Um, but there is some things that we make specific mention to related to um, that six to ten um, years of experience grouping. Um, But yeah for those supervisors we we kind of believe that part of the reason um they're experiencing more ownership is because they have more decision-making power sure um so therefore they have more control um so really one and i say i'm gonna say easy thing i know it's not easy but one one step supervisors can make is or organizations in general can make is um closing that decision-making gap and providing more power to those um that work beneath them, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, but they supervised, supervise um, and giving them a little bit more responsibility and, and control over um, specific situations.
0: I think uh, that makes a ton of sense. And it's one of those, like, it's almost like you knew it, but then sometimes it's just nice to see it actually come out in some backed up, you know, yeah. research wise. Now the profession side of it, um, I think is also really interesting is if you are on social media at all, you know, every now and again, things get a little flared up about, you know, what is the association doing or um, now with the CPC recommendations and that coming through, there's, there's a lot of maybe confusion and just opinion on what should be happening with it. So how, what did you guys find when it came to the broader profession, which seemingly is a much, much bigger question, um, yeah. obviously, but um, also an important one because, uh, you know, it is a, an association run by athletic trainers, obviously funded by athletic trainers.
2: Yeah. So I think one thing we were very cautious of when developing the tool initially was um, delineating between the profession and our professional association. Okay. Um, I think a lot of times people connect those two. Sure. So they're ubiquitous entity, so to speak. But um, the profession itself is, I don't want to say more, but it is different than the association. Um, Right. um, So we are very clear in our language to describe the profession as kind of the things that we do. Sure. Um, So our domains um our, our descriptions, things like that. Um, just so there wasn't that confusion. Because I think, like you said, people do tend to get cleared up about um, different things related to those entities. Uh, um, and we wanted to make sure that those feelings weren't affecting what we were measuring, so to speak. Right, right. Um, but yeah, in relation to the profession, we found a, a few things and we compared the profession to organizations. Uh, or sorry, we compared ownership over the profession to ownership over employing organizations. And what we found is that people tend to have um, more ownership over, their, over the profession, the athletic training profession than they do over their employing organizations. And specifically, um, they have a greater sense of belongingness and a greater sense of identity with the profession than they do with their employing organizations. And, and on the opposite end, they have a greater sense of territoriality and, um, accountability with their organization than they do with their profession. So I think the interesting thing there is essentially people feel more connected to the profession than they do the organizations they work within. Um, And that could lead to a lot of positive, uh, potentially service-related behaviors within the profession that may not be occurring within individual organizations. Sure. And on the flip side, that idea that they're experiencing higher levels of territoriality means that they may, or territoriality within their organization specifically, means that they may be um, participating in behaviors like knowledge withholding um, and things similar to that within their organization that they don't participate in at a professional level. Okay. So, so those are kind of the, the major themes we saw when we looked at profession versus organization. Um, Is really just the idea that people feel more belongingness, and they feel like they identify more with the profession than with the organizations. Which, when we go back to that conversation you and I had earlier in this in this discussion, we I said, ATs when they introduce themselves say, "Hey, I'm an athletic trainer. I work with blank," um, yeah. and that kind of um, justified some of the opinions we had prior to this development of this project.
0: Yeah, I guess I had never really thought about it, you know, in how people say that i not going to pay attention to it, obviously, you know, you don't say I work for Indiana State University, I'm an instructor, it's usually, or an athletic trainer, it's usually I'm an athletic trainer that works at, uh, which now I'm going to very much be paying attention to when I talk to people, what they say, uh, and just in terms of if that's providing any hints.
2: But I think that's just a really small example of how this is being expressed. Like there are probably many other examples of how people are demonstrating they feel more ownership with the profession than with their organizations. Um, But that's one that I, like you just said, um, kind of key on when I I talk to people now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So just based out of this one, I know you talked about some of the recommendations already. but do you see some implications for the profession? And I know what what you were looking at was kind of coming back to you know athletic trainers identifying with the profession, which is obviously evolving. And you know we talked about that a little bit with on your last episode with your tactical athlete care and that kind of up and coming um, setting in and of itself. But kind of big picture, do you see how implica- implications from kind of this specific study, but then also Future research.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, so when we started developing this study, what we looked at uh, initially was um, the work life balance position statement. Um, and we really looked at some of the recommendations that were made within that. Um, and we wanted to provide another construct to frame those recommendations within. Um, I think. All- a lot of times we hear work-life balance and we hear burnout and those things seem almost insurmountable. Sure, um, sure. So the idea of PO can be used to kind of frame and target specific programs or initiatives within organizations or personally um, to improve those situations um, by improving job satisfaction and um, kind of feelings of control at work and things of that nature. Um, so really I think An overall implication is that some strategies that organizations or people might use to um, improve how their employees feel could be framed within this idea of psychological ownership. And there are, we talk about this a little bit within the paper, um, but there are definitive ways or ideas for developing PO um, that are related to improving self-efficacy, improving belongingness, um, improving intimate knowledge of, of something. Um, so the idea of like the more you know about something, the more PO you have of, of it. Um, sure. or Or improving immediate control, or investment of self is another really big one. So the more you invest yourself into, um, the more PO you, the more psychological ownership you feel. So I think. We provide a, a few recommendations within, but just to touch on some of those ideas quickly, um one that we spend a lot of time with is onboarding and orientation. Okay. Um, if you go through some of the literature and athletic training, it's it's been covered um, quite a bit and specifically things that have been found to be really beneficial for people that are transitioning into a new job or transitioning into the profession. Um, so we kind of make specific framing references based on what's been found before. So um there are certain aspects related to onboarding that would help athletic trainers invest themselves into an organization that would help um, increase intimate knowledge of an organization, um, which then in turn would um, promote psychological ownership. Um, the other thing is I think a lot of times we tend to orient and onboard when people are new somewhere. Um, but really, that process can be continued across the work lifespan um, to continually check in Mm -hmm. and re-promote and redevelop that that ownership so that people still feel connected to what they do. Um, I think some other recommendations we make are related to self-care, which I I think we're going to talk about some self-care later uh, from my end. But um, self-care has been found to be um, What's the word i it's, it's been found to counter some of the feelings of burnout and work-life balance and job-strain issues um, in the past. Um, so again, we just framed some of that self-care within an organizational standpoint. So um, organizations have the power to provide some um, employee benefits and that's been seen in other healthcare um, entities and institutions throughout the country, um, but it's not, to our knowledge, something that's being done um, regularly in athletic training, Um, so organizational leaders that supervise athletic trainers, um, potentially implementing things like moderate exercise or um, counseling services or other self-care strategies, but framing them within the organization. So um, if you work for X organization, you would go see a counselor within X organization, Yep, that kind of thing. because really, when it comes down to it, this idea of PO is, and and I don't think this is mentioned anywhere in the paper, or yeah, this is this is probably just conjecture on my part. But the idea of PO has a lot to do with presence. Um, so, like where your feet are is where you're gonna feel like your feet are. Um, so, really, anytime you can create that presence um, is going to be beneficial.
0: I like that. That makes a lot of sense. Where do you see this potential research line? going as you kind of continue to investigate this
2: it's a really good question and i'm sure my faculty advisors would love a specific answer on that as well Uh, but i think in my head um, i have two two kinds of different ideas related to this Um, the first is looking at this within like a practice based or or quality improvement um, framework and actually applying this idea somewhere Um, So measuring psychological ownership within a specific organization, um, applying a specific intervention to improve it, and and tracking that over time. Um, I think uh, practical solutions are something that is needed not just in athletic training, but in healthcare in general. Um, And so actually going about doing those things um, is something that I'm interested in doing. Um, So that's one potential avenue. Also, over kind of the development of this project and um, since um, it's been a, a little bit of time since I've submitted it for review and stuff like that, um, really come to realize that psychological ownership related specifically to work and profession is really it's just a small piece of the pie. Sure. Um, sure. And there's a lot of other mediating factors that affect how people feel um, and how they operate in their life and then in work as a small part of their life. Um, so I don't know what that research line looks like, but I really I'd like to look at the experiences of athletic trainers and other healthcare providers outside of work um, and kind of see essentially what that is, explore it, and and then potentially down the line connect it to some other things that we see related to um, professional retention, job retention, things like that.
0: That sounds awesome. Anything we didn't cover around psychological ownership we we covered quite a bit in the short time span there but I definitely don't want to leave anything out i
2: i think we covered everything that i had in my notes at least to cover um if anybody missed anything feel free to check out the paper i think it's it's got some more depth on this topic so um you can start there or always reach out to me and i'll, I'll answer whatever questions too
0: we'll link For those listening, we'll link the paper up onto this page for it and um, have it in the notes so you should be able to get to it. Um, We'll just steal the link that got shared out um, originally until we see the full version officially live. Um, So typically we ask the athletic training chat questions, which I think we answered the one that I was gonna ask you uh, with a little revision, but the other ones we had just asked you recently um, but we added a new one since then. So we did want to ask, and you kind of alluded to is, as an AT in your role, how do you take care of yourself?
2: So I am very new to this role. So my answer is is uh, probably adapting by the day, uh, but what I have in this role that I, I, I maybe haven't had in previous roles is a lot of flexibility with my time and my schedule. Um, the DAT itself is an online program. So um, I'm a more freedom when it comes to how I operate. Um, so because of that, I think the way I have at least found I need to take care of myself um, and, and working towards is, is really being strict about how I schedule my time and how I protect that time. Um, I think. Yeah, the the more flexibility you have, the the easier it is to lose track of things. So um, that's kind of how I've had dedicated self care is really scheduling and and planning and um, becoming a bit more task oriented, so that I don't lose track of things, which in turn might cause stress or
1: uh, sure. other,
2: other issues. So that's that's where I'm at today. If you ask me this question in like six months, I don't know what I'd tell you, but.
0: I can understand that. I, I think that's been the biggest thing for me is that flexibility piece has changed. Um, just going from the collegiate setting, where yes, there was some obviously very scheduled things, but there was some variation in your day to clinic where you are go from beginning to end, and so that's yeah. made it unique uh, to for scheduling purposes for myself. So I, I understand that one.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so like I said, we'll link up to this and also copy over some contact information, but just so you stated, if people wanted to get a hold of you or connect with you on this topic or anything else as you're getting going, what would be the best way for them to do that?
1: Sure.
2: Um, so the easiest way is probably on Twitter um, and my Twitter handle is at Y underscore ATC. I'm like 90% sure
0: that's what it is. So we'll double check that and make yeah, sure it's linked up so yeah. people, yeah, so people can find it if they're looking up. So well, I appreciate you taking the time and being adaptable and your flexibility, even though mine wasn't uh, to get <laughs> to get on this call. So I appreciate that and really do look forward to seeing where more of this comes out from you and from Indiana State and how it can have an impact on the profession.
2: Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me today. I appreciate chatting with you, as always, and if you ever want to
1: chat again, just holly. Absolutely.